All right, I'm just, I'm going to have a reminder of what we just sang. Come and behold him. I want you to think about what does that word mean? What does it mean to behold something? It means that there's a way of looking at something that you, you come to hold it. You're able to use your eyes to bring something close to you. You're able to have it. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to come and behold him, the one and the only. We're going to talk about just what that means for him to be the one and just what that means for him to be the only. But we know, the Bible teaches us that we cannot behold him. We, we cannot behold him and look at him the way that he needs to be looked at and seen without supernatural help from God the Holy Spirit giving us power to take him in our minds and in our hearts, in our spirits, and, and behold him. So I'm going to ask right now that we turn our attention and we ask in prayer, we ask God to help us do that. Would you join me? All right, Heavenly Father, right now we come to you humbly and so needy. We as human beings have fallen so far. It means that we need your help to do the basic things that we're created for. We're created to glorify you and enjoy you forever. And we need your supernatural help to glorify you, to behold you. I pray in your grace and in your generosity, would you grant us that mercy to look into your word today, to meet you in the word today and to walk away filled with what you have planned to give us through your word and through this message. I pray that you would give me help. I do not have what it takes to deliver this sermon. And I pray that you would fill me. And I pray at the end of the day, we would walk out of here. We would say, we have met with God. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, growing up in Southern California, there was a real famous church in Southern California in the town called Garden Grove, which is kind of in the shadow of the Matterhorn at Disneyland. I mean, like you can basically see it from there. A, an innovative pastor in the 60s and 70s named Robert Schuler started a drive-in church. And I mean, in California, this thing caught on hundreds of hundreds of people, thousands of people. Then using his kind of skill in marketing and advertising and media, I mean, he grew a, a massive following, a huge congregation. At this point, it's totally folded and gone. But in the 80s, I mean, it was full throttle. They built the thing called the Crystal Cathedral, uh, an auditorium that was probably three times this size, except every wall and the entire ceiling was all glass. And every Christmas, they would put on like a, basically a live Hollywood production. It was called The Glory of Christmas. And one year, my dad got us tickets. So we went to The Glory of Christmas. I sat, I don't know, I think like right about there and just was looking up. And all four corners of the room were the uh, huge pipes from the pipe organ. When that organist like put their foot on those pedals down there, the glass shook and thundered. They had real live camels and animals walking up the aisle in this thing. They had like Hollywood level singers and actors that were in this, uh, in this thing. And it was, it was called the glory of Christmas. And I remember at one point I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching Mary's, you know, the person playing Mary's up here on the, on the stage and she's singing this song. And then all of a sudden I hear this other voice and I could tell, cause I know the story that other person is the angel. I'm like, where's, I don't see the angel. I'm looking up on stage. And then I look in all four corners of this huge cathedral and you know like the the old theatrical big spotlights that it takes a person to run it I just see these four beams come from all four corners about a hundred feet up in the air 
And there's this lady dressed up like an angel kind of waving her hands and singing this thing. And I was like, there's a lady flying in here. What is going on? You know, I mean, I walked out of there totally amazed. We, we sang Oh Holy Night and one whole wall of the Crystal Cathedral opened up so like the California breeze could blow on the inside. It, I mean, when they said this was the glory of Christmas, they were not kidding around. I, I was stirred. I know it's the weekend after Christmas. This is the Sunday after Christmas. And I know we've been in the Christmas story for weeks, but I just want to tell you, we have not yet gotten to the bottom of all the glory that there actually is in what happened that night. So in one final sermon in December, I'm going to ask that we turn our attention right back to that spot. I'm looking over about 13 verses, and I, I hope to show you... Um, there's a lot more in there than we've savored so far. And what I want to do is I want to take it out with you and I want us to use our mind and our imaginations, our hearts. We're going to really behold what happened there by just looking at what we have right in those verses. So uh, if, if you're ready to do that and turn your attention to God's Word, would you grab your copy of God's Word, turn over to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet in honor of uh, what happened at the birth of our great King. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 1. No, I'm not. I'm going to start at verse 7. Okay. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Can you see it in your mind, huh? And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. All right. This is the word of God. You can, you can be seated. Okay, now lots of times I fold my Bible and put it on the back stool and talk to you. Today I'm going to keep it in my hands because there's going to be multiple places where if you have your copy of God's Word, I'm going to tell you to take your little finger and put it right on some of these words. Because these words, um, it's, it's not a broad brush of Christmas that we're going to look at today. There's like words that mean things here. Okay, um, first of those. Um, 
Now, when uh, baby Jesus was born and the angels appeared to the shepherds, the angels appeared to the shepherds, and in verse 8 it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field. Now, this means the shepherds were in the same region as Bethlehem, except the baby that was born was born in the city part of Bethlehem, and these shepherds are out in the fields in the region of Bethlehem. Let me give you an illustration. It's kind of like Medford. Like if, if you went um, to downtown Medford to Braddock's, right? You would be in Medford, right? And if you walked across the street over to these open fields that we own right across the street from our property, you would also be in Medford, right? But isn't Braddock's more Medford-y than the fields of Medford over there, right? So in the Bible where Jesus is born is the town of Bethlehem in the center city of this little town of Bethlehem. And the shepherds are out in the field, but in the same town, both of them in Bethlehem. And the angels come and tell the shepherds something that they could not have known. Now what they could know, the shepherds could know that the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. In fact, many, many people knew and were expecting this. For instance, when Herod heard that this king had been born, Herod got together the chief priests because he wanted to find out where is this Messiah uh, predicted to be born. And when he called together the priests and the scribes, they don't have to go do a big research project and they don't have to go ask everybody else. They tell Herod, Scripture tells us that the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. So the, none of the religious leaders were surprised that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They knew he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And in fact, many of the overall Jewish population knew. In fact, in John chapter 7, when people are saying, I think that Jesus is the Messiah, a whole argument raises up a whole group of people says, he can't be the Messiah because we know he's from Galilee. He's, in, he's from Nazareth. See, they knew that Jesus was raised and grew up in Nazareth. He went to primary school in Nazareth, lived in his father's home in Nazareth. It was Mary's hometown. He graduated from Nazareth High School. He got his Nazareth letterman's jacket in Woodshop. Come on, that Woodshop. I don't know why I even work on these jokes. Okay. They assumed that because he had grown up in Nazareth that he was born in Nazareth. But the people in John 7, when they're arguing, he can't be the Messiah because he's from Nazareth and the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. See, it wasn't secret knowledge to understand that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. But what the angels revealed to them, if the angels had not given them specific information, imagine the angel said, the Messiah has been born up in town. Go see him. How long do you think they would have looked around Bethlehem to see him? Do you think any one of those shepherds would have expected to find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and in a manger? See, the angels give the shepherds the kind of information they need to do the kind of thing that the shepherds have to do. The exact same thing that people like you and me have to do. We cannot generally come to the overall idea of Jesus. We've got to specifically and precisely come to the very place that Jesus is. The shepherds weren't the only ones who need to see him with their own eyes, come to their own belief, their own personal sense of faith and understanding. Where is he? And who is he? And what does he mean to me? And the angels reveal that to the shepherds. And the shepherds go, and the shepherds find it exactly the way the angels uh, told them to. How do the angels know? See, some people assume that because the angels are supernatural creatures, that they're divine creatures, and they are not. Angels are not divine. Angels, angels do not have God's um, traits. 
angels are not omniscient. They don't know everything. How did these angels know that the shepherds would find Jesus lying wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in the manger? Because they saw him wrapped in swaddling clothes and they saw him lying in that manger. That's why it says that the, in verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Whose glory was shining all around the shepherds that night? Whose glory was that? Was it the angel's own glory? No, that's not what Luke tells us. Whose glory does it tell us is shining around the angels when they have this message for the shepherds? Whose glory? The Lord's. That means likely this angel was in that, um, at that manger looking at that baby in those swaddling cloths, except the angels knew exactly who that was. The angels looked at that baby and they saw this is the eternal son of God. And all of, all of his divine glory shined off of that child. And that glory shined onto the angels. And this angel shining with the glory of the Lord showed up to the shepherds and the very glory that came from Jesus' face onto the angels was then reflected off of the angels onto the shepherds. Now let me give you a concrete example from the Bible about another picture of that happening because can it be kind of difficult to think about the glory of the Lord shining off an angel when we don't really hardly even know what angels look like? Some of your Bibles might have pictures of those angels and th th those are only partly trustworthy, okay? So in the Old Testament, there was a man named Moses. Everybody heard of Moses? most people have. Now Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai and at the top of Mount Sinai this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that he interfaced and met with the pre-born Jesus Christ. Moses met with Jesus Christ on the top of that mountain before he was born as a, as a child. And because of, his, because of Jesus Christ's great glory on top of that mountain, when Moses would come down from the mountain, he had absorbed so much glory from the rays of Jesus' own radiance that when he would come down the mountain, his face would be shining and glowing. And when he would come down with a shining face to the people that were members of his congregation, they got weirded out by him. They didn't like when that, the shiny stuff was coming off of his face. It was unnerving to them. So Moses would, would wear a veil over his face so that he could still be with them. He could still tell them this is what God says, but they wouldn't have to deal with all the shimmer off of the front of his face because he had been in the very presence of God. He would go into a tent of meeting and spend time directly with God. And the rays of God's glory, he would, he would absorb them. And then when he left, they were still coming off of him. Give you kind of a concrete example. When I um, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, I got deployed to Somalia uh, in Africa. So we were there for about ninety days. We got word that we were going to get ship home, that our mission was done, and that was going to happen in twenty four hours. So they gave us twenty four hours of free time to get our stuff packed up. We were stationed at the airport in Mogadishu, which is on the ocean, and so we got a really great idea. Let's go swimming on our last day. Okay. Now, Mogadishu is much closer to the equator than I had ever been. And I don't know if you can tell by these lights, I'm not exactly the most tan person that you've ever laid your eyes on. So we went swimming, and then all my friends who actually could tan were like laying out on the rocks tanning, and I wanted to be cool like them, so I laid out on the rocks tanning for about an hour. Stupidest hour of my entire life. Woke up the next morning when it was time to ship out, 
and my skin was still radiating with the heat and redness of the sun's glory. Okay, here's what I want to say. We all understand this because the sun has great power. It's beaming in those windows right about there right now. And for us, if you would look at it, it just looks like it's light. But the more and more we look into what the, what the, what the rays and the beams that come off of the sun, what they contain and what they have, right? By the sun's light, we could see. Without the sun's light, we would not be able to see. By the sun's light, the sun brings us, there is energy in those beams. That beam is something material. The Bible's not kidding around when it says that God wraps himself in light. To God, light has real physical properties. And the more we become um, educated about the way that God has made his world, the more the world of the Bible is sound and true. When, when that angel was looking at the presence of the Lord, there was glory that came off of Jesus' divine nature. Saturated the angel with that glory. And when that angel uh, met those shepherds, the glory of the Lord had saturated the angel and was overflowing off of the angel and it was happening to them. And this angel has an uh, incredible news. And the angel, I'm at verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we oftentimes sing this Christmas song that says, for unto us a child is born. And sometimes we can get the words of that song, unto us a child is born, mixed up with scripture. But the scripture doesn't say for unto us a child is born because the angel's not talking about us. The angel comes with a message to the shepherds, unto you a child is born. Now for just a second, I want to remind us that the angels have their own history books, you know. The angels were created before the earth was created, before human beings were created. And the angels had their own rebellion. We get a little picture of it. One high-ranking angel led an overall rebellion and swept up one-third of the angels in that rebellion. But their history, even though it's partly separate from ours, we don't know everything about it, their angel history does impact our history. In fact, the Bible tells us that all the wickedness and all the evil of all the human race happened because that angel fell and that angel opened up and introduced a great evil into our world. And all of human history has been affected by the fall of an angel. Their history, although it's not ours, it's not separate or doesn't have an impact on ours. And these angels, this angel comes with a message for these shepherds and says that you have no idea what you got there. And he's for you. See, what happened in that manger, what happened in that child, the eternal son of God, God the Son was joined to and took for himself a human nature. And that was, although it happened at one point in history, it, has, it, it is eternal. It is going to go on forever and ever. God decided that he was going to personally rule over our whole reality, the supernatural world and this world. And he was going to do it by being joined to one race and one class. And by joining himself to one race, he was forever going to change the future history of that race because they were going to be with him. Now think about all the choices that God had when God said, I can, I'm going to enter into that world 
and I'm going to become part of the material creation. And when I do that, I'm going to rule from that position. Think of all the choices he could have made. He could have become nature. See, in some, some people, it's very close. Some people have, teach a very deceptive teaching that God is nature, that you could go up to Yosemite and you can go out into the, you know, you can go see Old Faithful and you can go swim in the ocean. You, say, you can say, I don't need Jesus. I don't need the church. I find God in nature. The only problem is you can't find God in nature. God is not in nature. God owns nature and he created nature and you can learn a lot about God in nature, but God did not join himself to nature. That's called pantheism. And some people worship the creation and not the creator. Now think, God could have decided that he was going to rule the whole world by uh, going down into the depths of the ocean and joining himself to a sea creature. Could have been like uh, Neptune. Could have been like the little mermaid, right? Could join himself to a nature. He didn't choose to do that. That's not what he chose to do. What he could have done, and I'm sure that the angels are astounded by this, and I'm certain that this played a role in the fall of the one great angel, Lucifer, when he fell. On this night, when the news is coming that God is coming into the world and he is forever going to take for himself a a people, and those people are going to rule and reign with him, which creatures is he going to choose to, to extend that kind of blessing and favor? And on this night, you've got these shepherds out in the field, and then you have this angel, and not only this angel, if you look at verse, um, look at verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. When the Bible says a multitude of the heavenly host, we sometimes can be sloppy with our thinking and think that that heavenly host means that, that that just means there was lots and lots more of the same kind of angel that was talking. But we shouldn't gloss over that that quickly. Because the Bible tells us that in the supernatural world, the world where the angelic creatures are, there's not just one kind of being up there. Bible tells us over and over, there's uh, rulers and creatures and elders that happens in Revelation. And from everything else we've seen, when God creates a a realm, for instance, God creates the sea and then fills it with all kind of life. Does that mean he fills it with millions and millions and millions of one kind of creature? No, it gives God great glory to show off his great variety when he fills a realm with all kinds of different varieties of life. Same thing with the, the skies. God made the skies and filled it with birds of all different types. God filled the land with all kinds of creatures. When God created the heavens, do you think the only thing he created was one kind of creature? The Bible does not say this. When Luke says there was a heavenly host, we can think that what the shepherds saw is just millions and millions of angels. But what the shepherds likely saw is millions and millions of all kinds of varied creatures. And even though there was great variety in those creatures, one thing was true. What did they all do in verse 14? Glory to God in the highest. That night, Jesus took for himself a human nature. He did not choose to take for himself the angelic creatures. He didn't join himself to the angels. He joined himself to human, a human nature. 
and what this means for us. Even though on this night, the shepherds looked at the angelic heavenly host and, and rightly said to themselves, they were afraid because these angels are clearly superior and much greater than they are. Greater in holiness, greater in glory, greater in knowledge, greater in power. The angels are great. But the Bible's teaching, because of Jesus taking on a human nature, it's not going to be like that forever. Paul tells us in Corinthians that there's coming a day because Jesus took for himself a human nature that we are going to be joined to his great royalty, his great power, and we are going to be superior to the angels. We will judge the angels. The angels will report to us. So when the angels say, for unto you a child is born, the human race has a future that's incredible and unimaginable. And it all happens because of one reason, because unto us a child is born. Our race of people have been redeemed and given a future that's amazing and incredible because of what Jesus has done. Okay, and I know, what you're, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, I ate so much sugar cookies yesterday, I can't hardly even, what are you, why are you talking about all these weird things about angelic creatures and what's gonna happen in the future? Why are you doing this? You're making my head hurt, right? And the reason why, I, I, I will tell you a reason why. Um, Bible teaches that a great curtain has been laid over the whole human race. And what that curtain does is it dulls everything that we're promised in the Bible. The Bible is not just like five steps of how to have a great marriage or six rules for your finances. Here's how to improve the current state of your life. Although the Bible does have a lot of practical advice. The Bible's got flying serpents and dragons. The Bible has angelic creatures. The Bible says that there's a future coming filled with unimaginable glory. This, this is the world that the Bible paints. But there's only one place to find all that. There's only one way to be part of that great future that the Bible itself promises to everyone who's in Christ. You gotta, you gotta listen to the angel and you gotta walk right up and you for yourself have to behold the one and the only. There is only one and only place to find this great glory. Only one way to be part of the future world that's gonna happen. Because Jesus took for himself a human nature. And that's right there in that manger. And when that glory of the Lord shone all around them that day, you know, Jonathan Edwards wrote a brilliant book about God's glory, about God's reason and purpose for creating everything. And he got, in the book, he got so practical. He said, let's just think about this for one second. If God is the most generous and good creature in all of existence, and he is, and if he loves people like me and you, which he does, wouldn't it make sense then that that great God who is so generous and wants to give you the greatest thing that he could ever give you, wouldn't it make sense that what he would need to give you would be the greatest thing in all of existence, right? If someone is, is generous and loving and they really want the best for you, aren't they going to give you the best thing that they have? The answer to that question is yes. What is the greatest thing in all of existence? God. What is the greatest thing that God could ever give a person like you and me? Himself. And he's done it. In Jesus Christ, 
And that night, the glory of the Lord shone all around because when you get Jesus Christ, just think of all the things that you get with it. Just like when the, when, the, when the sun's rays come shining on you, in those sun's rays, if you had the ability to break it up into parts of all the things that the sun brings you, doesn't the sun bring light so that you can know? The Bible talks about um, light being knowledge. Part of the glory of God that we have is God has revealed himself to you and he's revealed who you are, why you were created. He's told you where the future is going. Have you received it? Not, not just light and knowledge, but uh, light in, in Scripture is also holiness. When we, when we look at Jesus there, when we think about what the glory of God actually brings into our lives, we should step back and be astounded at the great moral holiness in God. Never one single time has ever made a mistake, done something wrong, been selfish, been greedy, been afraid, been defeated. The Bible is filled with all kinds of glimpses and pictures of God's great holiness. But the sun also, when it shines on us, brings warmth. Because the Bible tells us that being in the presence of the Lord is ultimately what we're made for. It's what is made to make us happy. In Jesus Christ, the Bible has given us the warmth of love. And love and holiness and knowledge and power, all of these things are what we have in Jesus Christ. Have you beheld that in your own life? Is, is looking and gazing upon and beholding that glory, is that the most important thing in your life? Because listen, if you don't hear anything else I've said, hear this. Everybody has a glory. Everybody has something in their life that they find beautiful, that they desire, that they want. One of the ways to know about it is in case in the last 10 minutes your mind has been wandering off because this sermon is not quite capturing your attention, all you got to do is to ask yourself, where does my mind go when it can think about anything that it wants to? And where it almost always goes is to your glory, the thing that you love. And everybody has one of these. Everybody has something that they find beautiful and delightful that is their meaning in life. And the angels come and say, you can have peace with God. And there's only one way to have peace with God. And here's how it is. If the thing that you glory in and that you love and that you delight in that you have to have, that you want, that you can't live without, if that thing that you will never stop wanting more and more of is God, then you have peace. Because forever you will be wanting more and more and more of God. And only if you have God, forever will there be more and more and more of him to give. Think of how practical this is. If your glory is money, won't it run out one day? If your glory is beauty and attractiveness, anybody under the illusion that you'll be able to hold on to that for very much longer... What if your glory is safety and security? You're going to be able to hold on to your life safely forever? There's only one thing that could be your glory that is never going to go away and never disappoint you and never run out. And that's himself. And in that child, that night, in that stable, in that manger, right there is God giving you the thing that you have got to have, which is himself. Have you received your king? Are you making his glory, that glory, the center and purpose of your life? 
If you are, then you've got peace and hope and a future. And if you're not, I want to urge you. Come to your senses. Make the glory that the angels celebrated, that the heavens are filled with, that Christians live off of. Make that yours and you can have peace with God. Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray today as the pastor of this congregation, Lord, the thing that I I want for us all as we turn the page on 2021 and into 2022, Lord, I want this to be a congregation that gives you glory. I want us to be like those shepherds who in a supernatural way behold the glory of the one and only Son of God and actually come into contact with your glory and have it fill our lives with knowledge, with holiness, with love, with happiness. And I, Lord, I want us to live in that glory so deeply that it fills us and it radiates out of us onto other people, that we walk around like the shepherds did after that night. The angels withdrew back into the heavens and yet the glory was left still spilling over and they glorified you and they praised you. God, may we as a congregation in a deeper way because of this Christmas and because of your great love for us, may we glory in you and may we praise you and may we be happy in you And may we find our love in you. And may your glory be the fuel that drives our life. Whatever you want, that's what we love. Because we have you and we have you forever. And I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.